You're changing me, Samantha. I am? You are. All of a sudden, I'm like researching like the most horrific murders, the most horrific <laughs> unsolved cases, the most, and, and almost racing you to find. Oh, I've made it a competition. Somewhat. Yeah. Uh, like I kind of got moody this morning when I was like, she was like, oh no, I don't have coffee. I don't have this. I don't want to record. And I was like, I got moody. And I was like, no, I have a great case because I'm, I don't want you to find it first. That's funny. Yeah. I'm like, I, it's too early. I don't have coffee yet. I was super annoyed because I'm like, what the hell? It's like nine. She bribed me with lunch. <clears throat> I did. And I fed her and now look at who wins. I, I do. The situation is correct now. Situation is, is correct. So you like, you, you like scary movies. I do not. Oh, okay. At all. I don't like them at all. I don't want to watch them. And I think I said in one of our podcasts before that the first <clears throat> scary movie that I ever watched was The Candyman. And it scared me so bad. I think I was like maybe 14, mm -hmm. you know, 300 years ago. Yeah. Um, and it scared me so badly that I don't watch them. I love scary movies. I had nightmares from that movie. And you like them. So have you have you seen the movie Psycho? Yeah. You ha you're making the crickle Is that face. the one where with Sigourney Weaver? What's her name? Sigourney I don't Weaver? know. I haven't seen it. I'm have pretty sure you showed me that movie. No. Isn't that the one where it's like a copycat killer? No, that's called The Copycat. Are you sure? Yeah. That's a great movie. That is fantastic. With Sequoia Weaver? With, yeah, Sequoia Weaver, yeah. Okay, have you seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Obviously, I've seen okay. the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So oh. do you know who that movie was based off of? Ed something. Oh, damn it. You know this case. <laughs> oh. Do you know this case? Yeah. Damn it. Oh, okay. I was thinking okay. I was doing so good. That's okay. I'm so um, here for it. It's okay, well, hopefully, hopefully I tell you something that well, you did. Did I have his first name right? Is it Ed something? Well, yes. Ah. Edward, Ed, yeah, Theodore Gein. Oh, Gein, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's crazy. Whatever. Okay, well, see, and then you crushed my dreams and my I should have just my... pretended. I shouldn't have given yeah, it like, to you. No, I have no idea. Who, who are you talking about? <laughs> Damn it. Okay, well, that's what we're talking about today. All right, well, I'm still here for it. It's been a while since I've looked at that. Do you so. know the case really well? Not, like, really well, but I know of him oh i'm gonna tell you everything you wanted to know and a okay. whole bunch of shit you didn't want he's to know he's creepy. crazy yeah he's super creepy isn't it um <laughs> texas chainsaw as well as um silence of the lambs yeah yeah puts the lotion on the skin Disgusting. puts it in the basket again oh my god and then you take creepy. shit to a whole different level and i'm like <laughs> okay you're not changing me to that point yet if i ever say stuff like that I'm like it's from the movie you've never seen the silence of the lambs oh my gosh and y'all guess what i did today i sent out 20 letters to people on death row yes for season two dun, dun, dun. that's all we're gonna tell you we're not telling you anything else. i that brings me a great deal of anxiety i'm all pumped like there were a couple of them that i couldn't write their name on the envelope like i it this terrifies me i'm so pumped i you're oh my god we're not using that word we're not using that that's why i stopped <laughs> that's why i stopped but i'm like oh my god i'm doing all of these things that are abnormal for you so far out of my comfort zone like i am so much better like behind a computer <laughs> like profiling people not like upfront and personal that's why you should watch silence of the lambs. i'm not ever gonna watch silence of the lambs 
You shut the... No, thank you. I'm Tracy. I'm Samantha. This is The Suspended Sentence. Everybody email me and tell me if we get 100 emails telling Tracy, I'll force her to watch that movie. No, you're not going to force me to do shit. 100 emails. (laughs) No. We'll make a bet. (laughs) Let's jump right in this, shall we? (laughs) We are moving on. Ed, Edward, Ed, Theodore, Gein. Okay, we're going to call him Ed. All right. He was born in La Crosse, Wisconsin on August 27th, 1906. So literally 120 years ago. (laughs) He was the second of two boys. His older brother's name was Henry. His mother was over-the-top religious. They were raised Lutheran, but she was over-the-top everything religion. Okay, she preached to her sons incessantly about, like, the immorality of the world, the evil of drinking, her belief that all women, all women, were naturally promiscuous and instruments literally of the devil. Except for her. She was the exception. She reserved time every afternoon to read from the Bible and study the Bible and indoctrinate what the Bible says, of course, her interpretation of the Bible into her boys every single day. But she really liked the Old Testament and the book of Revelations, specifically the verses concerning death, murder, and divine retribution. Okay. So she was, I mean, like over the top religion is good. It's great, but there's, there's, I mean, you can go too far, right? Yeah. We've talked about that before. Like, there, right. There is a story that um, that he tells, you know, much later about a time that he remembers that he and his mother visited a man whose whose name was Smith, um, who lived nearby, um, and they were just like purchasing straw. They were buying straw for their farm animals from him, and according to Ed, his mom witnessed Smith beating a dog. The, a woman inside the Smith house came outside and yelled for him to stop, but he just kept beating the dog until the dog died, like oh. beat him to death. Um, but his mom was super upset, super, super, super upset, but not because the dog died, but because the woman that was in the house that was there, she didn't know what she was there for, was not his wife. Mm-mm. So she was more upset that a woman was there than than what he did, the brutality that he showed towards this dog, right? And his mom told Ed that the woman was not married to Smith and she had no business being there. And she called her Smith's harlot. Again, not knowing why she was there, but just over the top, which kind of fed into her, her all women are promiscuous little, you know, dangers to her boys, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway. She bring back the word harlot harlot i know it's a great word so much better than a lot of the words that are used today i agree with that i agree starting another petition i'm on a petition roll today (laughs) okay now the interesting thing that is contrary to all bible religious whatever right is i mean like the basis of religion is love right love your neighbor love one another love 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 right she hated her husband oh absolutely hated him he was an alcoholic Um, He was super unstable in his employment. He worked at a lot of different jobs, being a carpenter, a tanner, insurance salesman, like all kinds of different jobs could not hold him down because he he drank. So eventually, because of this, she convinces him to move to a farmhouse outside of town in complete isolation, which is exactly what she wanted, right? To keep her boys safe and to keep the influences of the world away from her family, blah, blah, blah. 
So they buy a 155 acre farm outside of the town of Plainsville, Wisconsin, or Plainville, Plainfield, holy crap, Plainfield, Wisconsin. She loves this. Um, she turns away outsiders. People aren't allowed to go to their house. People aren't allowed to come over. You know, they are completely isolated in the middle of 155 acres. And if y'all don't know what 155 acres looks like, that is a lot of land. Yeah. It's a lot. And so you can be, you can be in the middle of 155 acres and not see people. Right. I mean, I just have 50 acres. And when I'm out there, I mean, it's, I mean, you're alone. Yeah. So triple of that. Right. Triple that. But you can't see your neighbors. You can't, I mean, unless it's super flat. I don't know. I've never been to Wisconsin, but I mean, you're by yourself. There is no influence of anything out there whatsoever. But so Ed only leaves the farm to go to school. And when he isn't at school, he's doing chores on the farm. So he is completely isolated. He was super shy. Um, his classmates and teachers used to say that he was, he had just like really, really strange mannerisms. Um, like he would just randomly start laughing, almost like he would have a thought and just randomly be like, <laughs> you know, just, I mean, just randomly in the middle of class, just start laughing. Like he was super awkward. But anytime that he tried to make friends, his mom would punish him. He would get in trouble. Friends were not, they didn't come to his house. They, he didn't have play dates. He didn't, like, he did not socialize with people. His life was mama, period. But he did pretty well in school, particularly, like, in reading. He did, I mean, he did relatively well considering how socially awkward he really was. Yeah. But on April 1st in 1940, his dad dies. He died of heart failure caused by alcohol, alcoholism, and he was 66. Henry, the big brother, and Ed obviously have to get a job and help support the family. And so um, when they were working, people said that they were reliable, they were consistent, they did a great job. Ed, oh, both of them worked like as handyman, just doing whatever jobs that they could, that they could do. But Ed frequently would babysit. For oh, neighbors. No. Well, you know what he turns into. So, I mean, it's mm -hmm. super creepy, but, you know, as a kid, like he would babysit, like whatever, whatever, anything that people needed, he would do. And he really enjoyed it more so because he, um, he connected more with children than he did with adults. Yeah. Cause I guess if you don't have any socialization skills, it's easier. Kids to are super, children, yeah. Um, and kids are super, um, accepting of mm -hmm. anybody, right? They don't care if you're, they don't care. Kids are, Kids are cool. Um, but Henry later, like as he gets older, he starts dating a single mom, a divorced mom of two kids. And he started making plans like to move in with her and start a life with her, like be married and leave the farm and, and do his own thing. That worried Ed because then the whole household, everything is going to be on his shoulders. But then Henry started saying to Ed, Dude, your attachment to mom is super unhealthy. And he would start speaking ill of like their relationship, their interactions and his mom. Like she's controlling, she's this, she's that. And that would infuriate Ed. Like it would really, really make him really angry, but more so like shocked and really hurt. Yeah. So on May 16th, 1944, this is four years after dad dies. 
Henry and Ed were outside on the on the land burning overgrown vegetation, which is something that that everybody still does. I mean, we do it. You burn, burn ditches. ditches and... You yeah. When the springtime comes, um, and the snow melts, you burn ditches so that water can flow down properly and you can flood irrigate or whatever. This is common practice if you own land. But the fire gets out of control, which again, I mean, that's pretty common too. Like mm -hmm. that happens. You know. You're lighting right. the ground on fire. Whatever. Yeah. Well, and it's easy to have happen. Mm -hmm. So, but, so this, there's this big fire burning and it draws the attention, obviously, of local people in the fire department. So <clears throat> the fire department comes, people come, they put the fire out, everything is under control. But then once everybody's gone, Ed calls law enforcement or whoever and says, yo, where's, where's Henry? My brother's gone. He's missing. So everybody comes back and they're all searching for Henry and looking for Henry. And Ed is like, oh, what's that? Clear over there, 50 acres from here. And walks them straight to his dead brother's body. His brother is laying face down in the in the ground, dead. Weird. Yeah, very. The police completely dismiss like the possibility of any foul play whatsoever. Um, and the county coroner later officially listed asphyxiation as the cause of death from the fire, even though he had no burn marks on him or anything. And it's reported that like there's bruises that were covering his face and his body, meaning, I mean, like that there was some kind of fight or altercation or something. But the authorities accept the accident theory as the cause of death. No official investigation was conducted and no autopsy was performed. So now it's just Ed and his mom in the house. They're by themselves. He again, never leaves the house for social gatherings. He never dates anyone. He doesn't go out with his buddies because he doesn't have any. Right. He doesn't ever leave the farm. He it is him and his mom. And he was completely devoted to his mama. Anything that she wanted, anything that she needed, any anything, he would jump. I mean, she would say how high he would ask how high while she, he was in the air, like anything that this woman wanted, he gave her and mm -hmm. he did absolutely anything. She has a stroke shortly after Henry's death. And then she has a second stroke soon after that. And her health completely deteriorates. Um, she died December 29th, 1945 at the age of 67. So within four years, he loses his entire family, his entire family, which, which isn't like his entire, his entire life. Mm -hmm. I mean, he didn't know anything other than that right. really, he had no one and they're all, and they're all dead. So he holds on to the farm for, for quite a while and he earns money just from old jobs, whatever. But inside the house, he boards up the rooms that his mother used. So like, the upstairs, the downstairs parlor, the living room, and her bedroom, like he boarded them off and they were never touched. But the rest of the house is disgusting. It's just super, super gross. Those rooms that he boards off, he goes in there and he cleans and he keeps them absolutely pristine. But the rest of the house is just disgusting. It's totally neglected, trash everywhere, piles of household items, furniture, um, I mean, it was, it was bad. It was really gross. And he lives in a small room just right off of the kitchen. And that's 
that's where he existed in a small room and the kitchen. Those are the only rooms that he needed. That's the only rooms that he, that he was there. So at the time, around this time, he becomes super interested in reading pulp magazines and adventure stories, particularly those involving cannibalism and Nazi art, art atrocities. Okay. Like Elias Koch. Do you know? I don't know. Do you know what pulp magazines are? Mm-hmm. I didn't either. I was like, what went into my mind first was like smut magazines or something. Yeah. Right. But that's not what, that's not what they were. So back around this time is when magazines were first coming out and magazines, like the high end magazines were like high gloss paper, thick paper. They were really, really good. You know, like high quality magazines, but pulp magazines were, they were like inexpensive fiction magazine magazines. Um, pulp, the word pulp, it derives from cheap wood pulp paper. Oh. So like paper that is like, doesn't have finished edges, isn't, it's like actual, Yeah, like it's cheap. And that makes sense because pulp paper, I've seen, now that you say it like that, I've seen videos of how you can like make your own paper. Mm-hmm. And it's literally just like this leftover of magazines and stuff. And you make yeah. like pulp and then you right. lay it out. And dry it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, they would just, I mean, it was fiction. So it was, and it was just cheap stuff that he could get right Mm -hmm. um to say oh i have magazines because this was the big fad it was the new thing i mean if i don't know if you yeah you did when you were a kid too didn't you where you would get you know like 17 magazine or people magazine or whatever and collect magazines i did when i was a kid and it was like we would wait for the newest cosmo magazine to come out you know and take it to school and everybody would read it like that was the fad that was the thing and all the quizzes and stuff yeah and you would do them and share them with your friends and pass them around and whatever and so this was like the equivalent to it but it's you know the poor version Mm -hmm. basically just the cheaper version so he was like i said he was a handyman just doing you know whatever jobs that he could come up with to to generate money but it wasn't enough. And so he started getting like a farm subsidy from the federal government in like 1950, 51, somewhere around there. So the government was subsidizing, I imagine, taxes and payments or whatever. Um, he occasionally worked for the local, local municipal road crew and just, I mean, just whatever he could find. Very similar to his dad, but he wasn't an alcoholic. He didn't drink. Um So, and then between that time, maybe like 46 to 56, he sold his brother's share of the land. So Mm -hmm. he sold 32 or 80 acres or something um, to help pay his bills and and stay afloat. But in the morning of November 16th, 1957, Plainsfield hardware store owner Bernice Wardle, Warden, disappears. A Plainfield resident reported that the hardware store's truck had been driven out of the rear of the building around 9.30 a.m. The hardware store saw few customers for the entire day. Some area residents believed that this was because of deer hunting season. But Bernice's son, who was the deputy sheriff, (laughs) Frank Warden, entered the store around 5 p.m. to find the store's cash register open and blood on the floor. Oops. Surprise. You're going to get an investigation if you go after the sheriff's mama. That's, I mean, so he, 
tells investigators that on the evening before his mother's disappearance, Ed had been in the store and that he was to return the next morning to get a gallon of antifreeze. Now they later find a sales slip for the gallon of antifreeze and it was the last receipt that she wrote that day before she disappeared. Oh, that's not a smoking gun. Right, exactly. Um, so that night after they put this together, they go to his house and they arrest him. And he gets taken into custody without any incident, without any fighting, without anything. Um, so the sheriff deputy discover wardens. Okay. So they go to his house, they arrest him. Then they go in to look around and they find her body decapitated, but they don't just find her body. They find all sorts of stuff. Like they call it an actual house of horrors. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so her decapitated body is on a, in a, in a shed on his property hanging upside down. This is going to be super offensive. So if you guys don't want to hear this, like fast forward for 30 seconds, because the list of things is pretty grotesque, but so she is hung upside down by her legs with a crossbar at her ankles and ropes at her wrist. The torso was quote, dressed out like a deer. She had been shot with a 22 caliber rifle and mutilations were made to her after her death. But inside the house, <clears throat> here's a small list of a few of the things that they found inside his house. This is very disturbing. Fast forward if it's going to be offensive. Whole human bones and fragments, a waste basket made of human skin, human skin coverings over several chairs, skulls on his bedposts, female skulls, some with the tops sewn off, sawed off, bowls made from human skulls. You're just sitting there shaking your head. <laughs> a corset made from a female torso skinned. That's from what I was waiting for you to get to. <laughs> um, skinned from the shoulders to the waist. Leggings made from human legs. Masks made from the skin of female heads. Mary Hogan's face masked in a paper bag. Bernice Warden's heart in a plastic bag. Nine I'm not even saying this one. A young girl's dress. At, I'm not saying this stuff. I'm not, I'm not doing that. So when questioned, he took the female, female parts of girls. She said that because I was like leaning over trying to see what she was yeah. reading out loud. He made belts from female nipples. He, I mean, he cut off the genitalia of girls and Yeah. Ugh. When questioned, he tells investigators that between 1947 and 1952, that he made as many four, as many as 40 trips to the graveyards, to the cemetery, to exhume recently deceased bodies, and he would take the bodies out and take whatever body parts that, that he wanted. So right after his mom died, he missed his mom so much, and what he was trying to do was recreate her. And so he would, he would see who had died and anybody who had similarities to his mom, he would go and remove whatever body parts 
were similar to his mom's and he was trying to recreate his mom. mom, Like a build a mom instead of a build a bear? Yep. You come up with some of the most interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Trademark. I trademarked it. Oh my gosh. So anyway, that's what he did. He gets arrested. He admits to doing it. He is suspected in several other cases in Wisconsin, um, which, I mean, he admits to. And so why did he, he says, he was going to the graveyard and getting freshly dead women. So he's not murdering anybody, right? Correct. Like, a, like gross, but at least he's not out murdering. Mm-hmm. Um, why did he decide to murder the sales clerk? Well, he is, sus- he is suspected in a lot, a lot of different crimes. Um, but, but I'm going to get to the, the legal part of why he wasn't tried and why they didn't pursue that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, because there's a lot of, of crimes, a lot of them that, um, that they're linking to him that can be linked to him, but they're not trying him for any of them. And, and I'll tell you why. Okay. So on November 21st, he was arraigned on one count of first degree murder and he pled not guilty by reason of insanity. And this is back to the reason of insanity thing, which is so interesting to me. We just love to talk about reason of insanity. We do. It's pretty fascinating to me. So he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and found and found mentally incompetent and unfit to stand trial. So like we've seen in a couple other cases, the court system was like, no worries. Go get help, stabilize, and then come back. So that's what they did. They He was sent to the Central Hospital, State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, which is now Dodge Correctional Institution. So now it's a prison. But anyway, it's a maximum security facility in Wapun, I don't know, Wisconsin. And he was later transferred to the state hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. So in 1968, so 11 years later, he was determined mentally able to confer with counsel and participate in his defense. So the trial begins in late 1968 and lasted one week. So a psychiatrist testified that he had told them he didn't know whether the killing of Bernice Warden was intentional or accidental. He told them that, um, that he, that he went to her gun shop shop, that he was looking at guns. He was going to buy one and it accidentally fired. And that's what happened to her. Okay. So, I don't know what things were like in 1958, but let me tell you something. If I go to buy a gun at any store, which I have done several times in my adult life, I I never load a bullet into the chamber. Yeah, or they don't come like fully loaded. For they you. don't. You don't get. You don't get a fun pack of 20 cart. You don't. That doesn't happen. Yeah. So I don't. I don't. It's a separate purchase. <laughs> well, and and you don't load guns inside a building. Yeah. You take it outside. So, but whatever. That's what, that's what he says. She digresses. Uh, right. Well, I mean, there's just some things that's just like, what? Come on. Like, nobody's going to believe this. If anybody has ever bought a gun or shot a gun, we know that you're full of shit. Yeah. That didn't happen. It wasn't an accident. You don't go in to buy a gun and say, hey, can I have a box of bullets too so I can test this out inside your store? Well, it's pointing out of your head. And also... We're super conscious of somebody who has a gun in front of us. And we don't, you don't, whatever. That's just, I'm digressing. (laughs) Like you said. 
Okay, but so as a request of, of him, his defense, he did not want a jury trial. He just said, let the judge decide it doesn't matter. So the judge was charged or found him guilty. And a second trial would be set to deal with his insanity. Mm. Okay, so he's found he's found guilty of murder, but the judge is like, we need to have a separate trial and we need to bring in specialists and, and professionals to talk about the whether or not you're insane, whether right. or not this is mental or what the heck is happening. Um, so in that hearing, he is found not guilty by reason of insanity. Mm. But he was ordered to the state hospital for the criminally insane. So he spent the rest of his life in the mental hospital. And ju the judge said that due to money, re money reasons and the cost of charging him and, and the trials and all of that to charge him for all of the other crimes, that it would just be too much money. And there was no sense in doing Since that. He's already not getting out. Yeah. Of he's not ever going to get out. He's going to be there forever. He's going to die there. He's not ever going anywhere. So we're not going to waste taxpayers money in charging him and having a trial for all of these. So, which kind of sucks, really, if you ask me, because, you know, those people deserve to have their day in court. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. That's, like, the biggest issue with, like, a lot of serial killers where they'll only be have, like, strong enough evidence to convict somebody with, like, five of the ten cases. Yeah. And then the other five families mm -hmm. are, like, well, but wait. my daughter didn't get justice. Right. My son didn't get justice. Right. He needs to he needs to face it and say and explain right. they it's... need to have their day in court. Mm -hmm. Right. So that sucks. I mean, that really sucks for them. It does. And and that never that never happened. But when you look at it, yeah. So I found Wisconsin state law in regard to not guilty by reason of mental disease or mental defect. Okay. To read it. And and this is, I mean, it applies to back then too, because there's two different, there's a before and after kind of law written here. It's Wisconsin State Statute 971-17. And this is what it says. It's 1A that says felonies committed before July 30th, 2002, except as provided in paragraph C, when a defendant is found not guilty by reason of mental disease, disease or mental defect of a felony committed before July 30th, 20, 2002, the court shall commit the person to the Department of Health Services for a specified period, period not exceeding two-thirds of the maximum term of imprisonment that could have been imposed against the offender convicted of the same felony including imprisonment authorized by an actable penalty enhancement standard. So they, they cannot go to a mental institution for more than two thirds of the time that they would have gone if they would have gone to prison. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> B says felonies committed after on or after July 30th, 2002 except as provided in paragraph C, when a defendant is found not guilty by reason of mental disease or mental defect of a felony committed on or after July 30th, 2002, the court shall commit the person to the Department of Health Services 
for a specified period not exceeding the maximum term of confinement in prison that could have been opposed, imposed on an offender convicted of the same felony. C, felonies punishable by life imprisonment. If a defendant is found not guilty by reason of mental disease or mental defect of a felony that is punishable by life in prison, the commitment period specified by the court may be life subject to termination under subparagraph five. So if they, they can't go to a mental institution for longer than what their prison term would have been. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this obviously doesn't apply to murder because murder would be life in prison without or with the possibility of parole. But so they're going to go to a They can't get out. So, you know, in some states, we've had this conversation before about the insanity plea, about how some people, like we talked about Lorena Bobbitt, how she got 45 days. She was found not guilty by reason of, of insanity, right. temporary insanity. But she got 45 days. She served 45 days in a mental institution and then she was let go. Um, But then there's other people who serve considerably longer. Wisconsin has it identified. They have an actual term in there of how long they're going to be in there, which I, I mean, I respect. Yeah. I mean, at least then it's not a gamble. Then it isn't like. You're not using it just to get out of going to prison. You're yeah, not like... you're not going to get out and off of anything. You're gonna you're gonna go somewhere. So I, I respect that with Wisconsin how they I, they they have clear parameters in which they. Yeah, you can use that, but it's not going to be any better. You're not getting like a shortened sentence because you're insane. Right. Right. And I don't know because I don't know enough information. Enough information isn't given out about you know, mental hospitals or whatever, like how much freedom they have, how much interaction. I know that it's not like prison. Right. You know, the risk isn't there. The interaction with people. I mean, I don't, but I don't know because again, not a lot of information is given out to the public about the ins and outs and day to days of what happens in mental hospitals. Right. But, but I do respect how Wisconsin identifies, you know, it's very, very clear on, this is, this is what you're going to do if, if this is the plea that you give. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of cool. So, um, do you know what happened to the house? What? So his house and the 195 acres or 155 acres, whatever it is, they were appraised at $4,700, which would be the equivalent of like 40, 44,000 in 2021. So really, really cheap. His possessions were scheduled to be auctioned on March 30th, 1958, but because they were going to turn it into a tourist attraction. We've talked about that. Actually, you and I were talking about this earlier. I can't remember. Oh, no. It was when you were finishing up the letters and we were getting all that done. And I was like, we were talking about one of them was selling, one of the people we wrote to is selling artwork. Yeah. And they their net value is like what? Like four million dollars yeah. now. And we were talking about how you legally can't profit from from the crime you commit. Like if you write a book and you're like, oh, so this is how I killed so and so, like you can't profit off of that. But you can profit from your notoriety yeah. by doing artwork or writing poems and things like that. And I was like, that's kind of morbid. I bet she does sell a lot of those because of who she people is. are morbid morbid and mm-hmm like things like that like i've been to the museum of death yeah and they've got i mean 
all kinds of artwork and letters from convicted serial killers. Really? In there. Uh. So, I mean, to me, I you say, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're going to auction off this stuff. I bet they probably did pretty well. Well, they, that's what they were going to do. That's what the plan was for the house and the stuff that was in it. But early in the morning on March 20th, 1958, the house was destroyed by fire. Oh. Fascinating. A deputy fire marshal reported that a garbage fire had started and been set 75 feet away from the house by the cleaning crew who was sent in to get rid of everything, to, you know, to clean out the house. And the hot coals were recovered, whatever it was, you know. Air quotes, accidental fire. Lots of accidental fires on this land. Right, right. Arson was suspected, but they really, the chief, the deputy, Frank Warden. Whose mother was Whose mother's body and body parts, etc. were in that house, was like, leave it. Walk away. And he did not investigate it. He did not. And I mean, I don't, I mean... I mean, process that for a minute, you know? So he died at the mental hospital um, due to respiratory failure, secondary to lung cancer, July 26th, 1984, at the age of 77. Over the years, though, souvenir seekers would go to his gravesite, ironic, and take pieces of his headstone until eventually his headstone just completely disappeared. It was later found in Seattle, Washington, and it was recovered. And now it's, um, it's in a storage facility at the sheriff's department. But so now where he's buried is unmarked and said to be unknown, but it's between his parents and his brother at the cemetery. So it's really hard to find, but you know, that's what he used to do. He used to go to grave sites and take, you know, what he wanted. I mean, not, the same way but you know so it's kind of you know ironic that that's how that's ending for it's him. yeah i mean it's like oh well even from even from there i mean you get what you give right i don't know goes around goes around but, so i'm i'm uh i was mortified by that case and i was super proud of myself that i found one that was absolutely disgusting i mean there were parts of it that i can't even read yeah I mean, it's really, really, it's really I know, awful. I'm so proud of you going out of your comfort zone. I know, but you're just sitting there with your eyes big and your hands folded like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm a little disappointed. Kind of a psycho, I don't know. Like, you knew the case. Yeah. It just makes it even harder. Gotta, we'll just keep playing this game until one day I'm going to be like, what? You've done that a couple times. I have. You have got me a few times, like in our um, 50 States ones. Yep. So maybe pick one of those. Since I don't know about it. <laughs> Great job, though. Good research. There was a lot of stuff I didn't know. Like, I didn't know about his childhood or anything. I just knew about the actual, like, mm -hmm. what was found. Right. But I also have a tendency of any movie that says this is based on a true story, I Google. Well, and isn't it interesting that, you know, mothers, mothers in general, it's like, if we do too little, we get, we get deranged non-emotional kids if we love them too much then they're unhealthy attachments like gosh finding the balance as a mom and not that i don't think that she was over the top but i didn't exist in 1906 so i don't know you know what Wait, the world was like you were born 
That's not the character that was born. Got me confused. Asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but that's also, that's like the whole argument of like nature versus na- nature, right? Nature, nature, nature versus, versus nurture. nurture. <laughs> nature versus nature. I mean, that's a thing as well. <laughs> but it's kind of interesting. I mean, a lot of, you see a lot of these like killers like this, like alcoholic fathers, mm-hmm. over the top mothers, or a head yeah. trauma. Those are usually like, the common denominator, I feel Well, like. and then I wonder if, you know, that her, her put, throwing down their throat, you know, that drinking was so bad was because their father was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy. We've talked about this, you know, before also. It's so easy to, um, to get down on the moms. Mm-hmm. But, you know, where the hell are the dads at? Where's the influence of the fathers? Mm-hmm. You know, because I read, I read this and I'm just like, you know, mortified at you know the level that that she took it to is being a mom and and pushing religion down down her kid's throat but then on the same hand it's like the dad was what the dad was which really made her what she was which right tragic yeah once again we can feel sad for the child but does it disappear from the horrific things they do because that is sad that's like a hard way like thinking about like how he was raised is sad yeah. Like, not having any friends, not being allowed to have friends, an alcoholic father that's not contributing anything to the household. hmm Like, them having to step up. And I think probably Henry, the only reason that he had a different view is probably the woman that he was with. He probably met her and, like, was smitten, and she was like, dude, you guys are freaking weird about your mom. Like, that is not normal. hmm And so then, but Ed never had that. Yeah. He never had that conversation that, like, coming to Jesus meeting of like, this isn't normal. But then isn't it interesting that they were both raised under the same, in the same environment, under the same situation with the same biological everything. And one goes one way and the other goes the other way. I think that probably, yeah, had to have some sort, maybe the woman had something to do with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it ended horrible for him as well. However, I mean, it's just, it's interesting. I mean, as a, as a parent, like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. Which, you know, it's interesting in the world of psychology as to, okay, how does this happen? You know? So I don't know, but it was an interesting case. It's, you know, all of it is so interesting to me. That's why I, I, I like doing the background too. And researching, you know, like who the person was before they did what they did, because for him to go to this extent is like, mm-hmm. hey, kind of went into my lane a little bit. That's okay, because I'm going into your lane this week. Your lane for what? Your lane. You said that to me the other day when I was telling you about what one of my cases was going to be about. And you're like, hey, now. Hey, now. <laughs> it's interesting. You, you brought a fun case. It was, it's not fun. It was it was disgusting. <laughs> it's disgusting, but it's kind of It was gross. And also, did he have a sexual relationship with his mom? Not that I know of. Because the parts of the female body that he would save. Yeah, that is weird. Or maybe it's because he'd never been a little woman. If he was that much more close. I mean, I mean we're I speculating here, but. I couldn't find that, though. But if he was, like, never leaving the farm, I mean, mm-hmm. he may not have, as a teen or 
young man. He does. He did say in his, and this is just what he said, and he did seem to be fairly honest about what he did after he did it. He said that he never, you know, had sex with any of the dead bodies and it wasn't about, it wasn't about sex, but then why would you cut off the female genitalia and save it and make necklaces and and belts? A power thing. I don't know. The human brain is wild. But he said that he wanted to do it to be closer to his mom. So maybe he was. I can't imagine. I mean, if you wanted to be, if you didn't have an, if you had a non-sexual relationship with your mother, that you would want to keep breasts from, from other women and the genitalia of other women in remembrance of your mother, unless it was something sexual, something sexual, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. That's interesting. Cause I've never thought about that. I don't know. It's yuck. Yeah. I know. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for thanks for sitting through that with us. Thank you, guys. All right, stay safe.